0: Is the speech in the teleprompter?
1: Yes, Madam President.
0: All right, I want to practice it.
1: Once again, uh, Madam President, I want to go on record as saying... I know,
0: I know. Terrible idea. Worst idea ever. But you're wrong, Hill Hooper. Here goes. My fellow Americans, I stand before you tonight more deeply convinced than ever that the linchpin of our national vigor is the hokey pokey.
1: Please, Madam President. Look,
0: Hill Hooper, I've been doing the hokey pokey my entire life. It's who I am. It's a big part of my governing style. We're we're facing a national crisis right now, but we're going to get through it if everybody does the hokey pokey. It's
1: a great way for you to relax and loosen up, ma'am, but does the whole country need Damn to- Damn it,
0: Hill Hooper, why do you think I made you chief of staff?
1: Because I do the hokey pokey. And? And I turn myself around.
0: That's what it's all about.
1: It's going to seem silly.
0: I won Dancing with the Stars for Pete's sake.
1: They totally rigged it for you, Madam President. They've never had a Hokey Pokey segment before or since.
0: Why do you always undermine me? Did Obama's people try to take basketball away from him? No, in fact, here's a whole radio show about that president and his passion. And now he's reached an age where he dribbles without having to think about it. Colin McEnroe. Okay, this is for all you Spanish speaking citizens.
1: Uno, dos, un
0: pie
2: saca un pie mete.
3: What does it mean to have a president who plays basketball? That's one of the questions that Alexander Wolf, longtime sports illustrated writer, asked as he assembled the audacity of hoop. Basketball and the Age of Obama. This is one of these books that you look at it and you think, why didn't somebody think of this sooner? This is such a great idea for a book. Uh, I never would have thought about it, though. And so this is a book kind of about how basketball influences President Obama, but also how President Obama influences basketball, the kind of conversation that they've ha- been having with each other, not only for the last eight years, but really for President Obama's for most of his life. You're going to hear my conversation here with Alexander Wolf. but um, earlier in the week I talked to Jamal Wilkes, the great uh, player for uh, the LA Lakers and for UCLA and for several other NBA teams as well. You're also going to hear a very young uh, basketball player, Brandon Sherrod. He's a player for Yale right now, because I wanted to hear people who play the game also talk about how all the things that Alex writes about, how it all looks to them. So Alexander Wolf, welcome to the show and the conversation. Thanks so much, Colin. So let's begin by talking about President Obama as a basketball player. How good is he and what's his game? He's not
1: that good. Um, (laughs) He's generally in the games that he played in during his first term, which were pretty high level pickup games. He was generally the least accomplished guy on the floor, but he had a real knack for fitting in, for playing with people who were a little better than he was. And he did have a pretty good high school game. He was self-taught, mostly taught on the playgrounds, didn't get a whole lot of playing time in high school, but that was because he was on a really good team. Two of the five starters on that team wound up, not in the NBA, but in the NFL, they were good enough players, and it was a Hawaii State championship team. So he has a pretty decent pedigree. I think because he didn't play much in high school, uh, figure all that much on the team's fortunes there was a kind of unrequited relationship with the game, and that helps explain why he's played so much since.
3: Right. I mean, I think there's those two things. One of them is I never got to be as good as I think I should have been, so you just keep going. And also, unlike some other team sports, you can really keep doing this pretty easily. In other words, it's, it's hard to play tackle football after the, the natural opportunities for tackle football expire. But basketball, until your knees go, I mean, your basketball doesn't expire. You can keep going at it. And that
1: point can get turned back into a larger generational point, I think, Colin, because Obama's generation, these baby boomers and younger, pickup basketball has become a more and more acceptable way for people as they age to socialize and get exercise. Uh, It used to be pretty much golf only for men back in the 50s. And now pickup ball is, you know, on college campuses and YMCAs, it's
3: men, women, young and increasingly older and older. So one of the questions then is, is President Obama the president he is, at least partly because of the influence of basketball on him? I asked Jamal Wilkes that question. Let's hear what he said.
2: Well, I do. And you said the key phrase, because he loves it. Mm. and It's obvious that he loves it. And he loves all of it. I mean, some people like the college game but don't like the pro game. Others like the pro game, don't like the college. He enjoys both of it. And it comes through. Naturally and loud and clear, and if I may say of all the sports, I think basketball is certainly one of the more intimate ones, mm-hmm. because you see the guy's faces, you see him in shorts, you know you see him in an intimate venue, although there may be twenty thousand of your you know friends there as well mm-hmm. but so that also uh, rings through that his intimacy and his engaging.
3: Alex, one of the things that you and I know, and I brought it up with Jamal, too, is that presidents typically have been football fans first and foremost. I was thinking about it before you even mentioned it in the book, but there's supposedly Richard Nixon actually gave George Allen a play to use for the Washington Redskins, although neither one of them has ever really admitted that, partly because I believe it was a reverse and there was a 13-yard loss on the play. <laughs> so, no, you know, obviously, <laughs> what did President Kennedy say, um, failure is an orphan. Uh, so uh, that particular play had no apparent. But they're football fans. They're, they play golf. And we'll get to sort of the Obama and golf um, uh, relationship, which you explore in detail here. But that was the game. And baseball kind of is a game. This really is unusual to have a president who not only loves basketball, watches basketball, wants to know how the games are going while he's in Air Force 1, but plays basketball. This it it's a big difference and I think it's a big difference not just in what what it is, but probably in the mentality That it creates too. Basketball is a really different kind of game. It's, you know, football. I I was talking to Wilkes about this. I said, you know, you you get your orders, you do the thing, you go back to the huddle, you get your orders, you do the thing, you go back to the huddle, you get your orders. And basketball is different. Everybody's having to make decisions in real time, in flow, all the time.
1: There's that. And
3: I think there's the other thing. You know,
1: before basketball influenced Obama, the president, or even the candidate, it was influencing this. 10-year-old kid who's the last time he sees his dad is given this Christmas gift of a basketball and it becomes this kind of charge that he accepts. The other thing that's characteristic of basketball that speaks to Obama and the way he thinks is it's this almost perfect balance between the individual and the collective and you're constantly splitting that difference. You know, if you're down to the end of a game and you desperately need a basket, there's no question the ball is going to go and to the individual who's most talented. But we all know that unless you have that chemistry going the rest of the time, the team is in big trouble. And that, as Obama has pointed out in his own writings, is the tension in government. You know, We're always trying to resolve you know, our obligations to the collective with individual freedom. And if you look at Obama's way of thinking um, – The way he splits the difference on a lot of issues, he tries to seek consensus. It's been obscured a lot, I think, by some of the partisan rancor during his presidency. But that really is who he is. And it's also something that I
3: think is right there in the game. So one of the points that you make is that when uh, President Obama, he was president then when he was courting one Michelle Robinson, uh, that uh, her brother was a, a standout player for Princeton and somebody who, like a lot of people, belie- I mean, when you play basketball, you, if, if you're really good, you play at your practices and you play in your games. But no matter how good you are, you're probably going to spend more time playing pickup games than anything else. And Craig Robinson uh, believed that you, the temperament of a person, the character of a person is displayed in that context. So I asked Jamal Wilkes about this, and then we'll come back, and uh, Alex, you can tell us more about this. Here's what he said.
2: That's especially so when there's no referee there, and and you have to trust each other. You know, guys tend to call fouls and out of bounds and, and things of that nature, and it can become very, very heated, as you well know. So I think it does tell a lot about a person's character when they have to regulate themselves and each other without a quote-unquote referee or official being present.
3: Right. He said, as you well know, because Jamal and I, we play pickup all the time. So um, <laughs> tell us more about that story, about Craig Robinson taking this young suitor out on the court and, fi- and taking the measure of his mettle.
1: Well, they'd been dating for about a year, Michelle and, and Barack, and she'd grown up in this house in Chicago with a dad and, and an older brother who kept saying that. You could tell a guy's character by how he behaves on the court. So she's looking at fish or cut bait time with this guy and asks her brother, can you take, you know, he says he plays ball, but uh, I don't know. Can you take him out with your guys? So regular Saturday morning game, this guy goes out there with with Craig Robinson, John Rogers, I think, who's another former Princeton player, was in on that game, Arnie Duncan, who would become the Secretary of Education. I mean, really kind of a historical moment at some gym somewhere in Chicago on a Saturday morning that spring. And... Craig reported back to his sister that your boy's straight, I think, was exactly the quote. And it's a tricky situation. Obama has since said that he knew exactly what was going on. You don't get invited to go play with your girlfriend's brother who is drafted by the Sixers without some checking you out going on. And uh, he didn't suck up to Craig by passing him the ball all the time. He shot when he was open, but he didn't shoot too much. There was just a, a recognition of, of how to fit in. Uh, Which is something that I found when I talked to people who played with him in law school and elsewhere, that that was a theme that kept recurring. The guy kind of knows how to fit in.
3: Right. As uh, one of his predecessors in basketball and politics said, a sense of where you are. That's Bill Bradley, of course. So uh, we're talking to Alexander Wolfe right now. His book is The Audacity of Hoop, Basketball in the Age of Obama. By the way, there's a website, The Audacity of Hoop. You can find out more about this book by Alexander Wolfe. So, yeah, that's one of the things that you find out when you play people is that you find out whether or not uh, they are, you know, generous. Are they ball hogs? Are they? And then the other thing you find out is sort of – What their temperament is, I mean, what their character is, are they trash talkers? You report actually in the book that under certain circumstances, President Obama, with games the people he knows, might play that part of the game, too. There's a whole part of, particularly pick-up basketball, that just involves talking to other people, usually in semi-unpleasant ways.
1: Although in in his case, it sounds like it's fairly Mm good-natured, one of my colleagues at SI, Scott Price, was able to play him one-on-one way back in 07, just before the Iowa caucuses, and and he kind of blew up, and nobody was going to be playing one-on-one with him after that. (laughs) But Scott reports that when he would line up jump shots, Obama would come at him defensively going, woo, you know, just trying to distract him. (laughs) So the other interesting thing Scott found out from talking to Michelle around that was the trash talking can be traced to Barack Obama's mother, who used to give everyone a lot of lip during family games of Scrabble, which I (laughs) think was probably a strange... (laughs) Pedigree for it, but yeah, the other other thing is you talk about pickup and just the way it has to govern itself and regulate itself. Remember that your teammate in any given pickup game is likely to become an opponent in the next game or vice versa. So there's this constant recombining of teams, and I think that tends to help regulate. And you don't want to burn any bridges. It keeps everybody kind of in line. And. That's a little bit – having that moral imagination, seeing, gee, how will somebody else feel if they're put in that situation is something that has been characteristic of Obama's presidency too.
3: There's a moment in your book, Alex, where somebody describes Obama's game kind of the way you just did and then somebody else says, wait a minute, you just described his presidency. And there is a little bit of that. I mean you describe his game, you're describing his presidency.
1: Yeah, and I've been criticized a little bit since the book came out for extrapolating a little too grandly from basketball examples to, say, political examples. But there are there are some very uncanny things. For, for instance, 2014, the Democrats lose the midterms pretty badly. The first cabinet meeting afterward, Obama distributes to everybody in the room a piece of paper that says, we're about to enter the fourth quarter. Interesting things happen in the fourth quarter. So he's embracing this lingo, uh, this framing of Politics in, a, in basketball terms, and even if, as you look at his presidency as if it were four quarters, it does have kind of the ebb and the flow of an NBA game, you know coming out of the gate strong and then getting his health care reform passed and then running into a really sluggish period in the second quarter, but then rallying just enough to get reelected and, and so forth. And the fourth
3: quarter has indeed turned out to be pretty interesting. Another thing that we know from pickup basketball, I mean, I played a lot of pickup basketball for many, many decades, which is why my knees don't work anymore. But, you know, everybody's had to. I've pried people's hands off the windpipe of another guy, evidently previously sane people, you know, where I mean, I actually have had to stop people from trying to choke other people. You describe um, how Obama was in games like that. I asked Jamal Wilkes about that whole idea, like what happens in pickup games where people just lose it?
2: Now that he's the president, you know his calls go, you know what I mean? His <laughs> rules go. But, but I could have seen him prior to being president, uh, and I think that's a good way to express it, as being the guy who could put the pin back into the grenade, who could bring people together. Uh, and that seems to be his background. But now that he's the president, when he calls a foul, he gets the
3: <laughs> So there's that. Although, as I, you point out in the book, he's not so great that Gino Ariema can't uh, trash talk his ugly left-handed jump shot. But that you described earlier earlier in, in his playing career that he kind of is the guy. You know, I mean, we've all been there at those moments where something, where an argument is being taken up two or three notches. And he was maybe the guy who could take it back down a couple notches.
1: Yeah, and that never more so than at Hemingway Gym on the Harvard campus, where he went to law school. And a handful of people told me that first of all, games there tend to be pretty argumentative, not so surprising given all the law students. Mm-hmm. And that Obama had pretty quickly established a reputation for frequenting the games. A and B being the guy that brought some order and calmed people down, and you know would pat someone on the rear if it if that's what it took. And again, very easy to see in the no drama Obama personality that we've become used to seeing.
3: Now, one of the things that you describe, uh, Alexander Wolf, is the way in which basketball then became a little bit of the campaigning style, particularly when he entered the national theater, that in a sense, I'm stealing your analogy, but in a sense, it was kind of Bill Clinton's saxophone, his way of sort of saying, oh, this is who I am, the guy who can visit North Carolina or Indiana and play a little basketball.
1: Yeah, there was there was certainly some of that. I think he was sending a signal generationally that I am young, I'm vigorous. Um, but I think also there was a lot going – well, first of all, remember the early polls had him trailing Hillary Clinton among black voters. So African-Americans just saw the funny name, didn't really know who he was. And so basketball was a way to signal to them that, you know, I, I have some fluency with this big part of African-American culture. So, so there was that. Um, but even, even beyond that, uh, the, the sense that he was foreign in some way. And when we get into the president's, uh, presidency itself, even after the campaign, he's filling out an NCAA tournament bracket. There's an element of projecting I'm a regular guy. And when he did play in the campaign in North Carolina with the UNC varsity in Chapel Hill and did play in three-on-three tournaments around the state of Indiana – With their five or six weeks before those primaries, he wins them handily in both cases. And then they they turn out – these two basketball states, North Carolina and Indiana, both turn out to be the two reddest states he flips to blue. And I, I just found that to be irresistible. I mean basketball maybe didn't do it, but the margins were so narrow that basketball that had any effect at the margins had a decisive one.
3: All right. We're talking to Alexander Wolf. Uh, His book is The Audacity of Hoop, Basketball and the Age of Obama. Let's grab a quick break here. We'll come back. We're going to talk more about how uh, he uses basketball to govern after this. The show you're listening to actually aired originally earlier in 2016. It was one of our favorite shows of the year. Uh, And now as the presidency of Barack Obama comes to a close, we wanted to air it one more time. First of all, because we'll never be able to use it again after he's not president anymore. Uh, And also because it just seems to be a nice way to say goodbye. Obviously not the most important thing about his presidency, but maybe a, a very unique thing, as we've been saying in this show, about the presidency of Barack Obama. So we now take you back to that show. We're talking to Alexander Wolf. His book is The Audacity of Hoop, Basketball in the Age of Obama. This is a book about how basketball influenced Barack Obama and also how Barack Obama influenced basketball. Before we get back to um, Alex, I asked Jamal Wilkes, uh, the great— L.A. Lakers player, UCLA player, played for the Golden State Warriors, too, and at least one other NBA team. I asked him about the whole idea of basketball and leadership, that, you know, he's gone on to be a successful businessman. There's something about playing basketball that makes you good at making split-second decisions. How does he think basketball influences leadership?
2: That's so very true. Uh, Again, basketball is one of the few games you can go out and shoot hoops by yourself mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, or with a small group of you know one, two, three people or a five-on-five game. There's just so many options and so many levels that you can engage the game of basketball, the sport of basketball, that it, 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 it really is uh, a very engaging experience. I know I've used that word already once, but I can't think of a better word.
3: So this is something that we know that President Obama actually does that whole kind of zen, cool thing that you can do at times with basketball. You're in a tough situation. You have some things to think about. Uh, Alexander wolf you've discovered one of the things that he'll do is go out on this basketball court that he's installed there at the White House uh, and and just shoot or play horse with uh, his aide, Reggie Love.
1: Right. During the first term, he talked about how when health care reform was being debated up on Capitol Hill, he just needed to to get away for 15 or 20 minutes. So he would do that. Now, Reggie Love, who played at Duke, won a championship there. He left after that first term. And simultaneous with that, um, there's a drop-off in the amount of basketball that Obama plays. Um, and there's a whole other debate to be had about golf and basketball and how those two sports might might uh, influence the thinking and the mental well-being of a president. Um, but yeah, for that first term... Uh, He would play the high-level pickup games on, say, a Saturday morning and then occasionally grab that little bit of time on the South Lawn Court, formerly the tennis court, which he had retrofitted into a basketball court.
3: And so um, there's so many—well, actually, let's talk about the basketball and golf thing, because we've now alluded to it twice, so it's probably worth talking about. So there is a point at which he starts to play less basketball and maybe more golf. Now, part of the less basketball uh, game, according to one of your sources, may be as a result of an incident, I think in 2010, where, uh, as will happen, he got elbowed in the mouth and had stitches in his lip. That's, That's right.
1: It was the Friday after Thanksgiving in November 2010, And like a lot of Americans, he felt he needed to work some turkey off and joined um, Susan Rice's brother, John, who played at Yale, uh, Arnie Duncan, Reggie Love, Arthur Jackson, who played at Brown. They're playing their usual high-level game at a military gym in greater DC. And one of the players in the game, very innocently, elbows him, opens up a cut on his lip that requires 12 stitches to close. And this becomes Elbowgate and there's you know people hunting down who the culprit was and the poor guy had to go into hiding for a while. And uh, But the upshot is that apparently in part because Michelle Obama had a, a few choice words about it was that he just isn't playing at that high level as much anymore. He didn't want to do the State of the Union on crutches and – Golf always had an appeal to him because he'd grown up in Hawaii. He was outside a lot. It's one of the few times that a president can get outside and get a sense of being alone, even if the Secret Service agents are lurking in the bushes. So he started to do more and more of that. And interestingly, after that midterm debacle in 2014, there was a a pair of editorials. The Economist had an editorial saying, this golf thing is, is actually good for him. It it lends itself to having a clear head, the kinds of things that sober-minded presidents ought to have do more golf. And conversely, there was an op-ed in the Washington Post from some guy at the Council on Foreign Relations mm-hmm. who said, no, 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 you need to – you just lost the midterms. you got to show some feistiness. Basketball requires you to kind of mix it up and stick your nose in it. Get back to basketball and you'll get your mojo back. And while he hasn't really gotten back to basketball, I think maybe – Using all this metaphorical language, whatever it is, he seems to have gotten his mojo back.
3: And, but let's talk about this. This is a really interesting area, This the point that the second writer, the Council on Foreign Relations guy, is making. Because there's two two things going on here. One of them is... This the argument is this is a place where Obama, who is so good at masking his emotions, so good at controlling himself that, as you point out in Key and Peel, you know, they invented this character, Luther, who is this kind of surrogate anger being, you know, who is like the angry version of Obama. And and so there's this notion that the basketball court is a place where, you know, we know it's not just a joke that there is an, There's a Luther in there somewhere. There's a guy who gets madder than than President Obama ever lets us see, and and that there's something good about the fact that his Luther can come out there. Yeah, on on the basketball
1: court, or or just there is a Zen place when you're playing in a in a pickup game with your buddies. And he played with people for the most part. He he knew. And you're just in the moment. And I think that is a kind of escape that we all need it at some point. Whereas golf, gee, if you've played golf, you know how frustrating it can be. And you people who play golf talk about it even more than they play, play it. So you're kind of – I think you're taking it home more than you'd be taking basketball home. And I'm not sure you – a president who has this tiny little window to clear his head would really want to do that. So I'm – I mean my bias is obvious here. I'm a basketball partisan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if it weren't for the fact that he he wishes he could continue to play at a really high level and he now understands that he's putting himself at risk if he does, um, he would still be playing pick up at a high level.
3: So there's so much here in terms of how basketball helps him govern. And it's by the way, the, there's – we don't want to spoil all the stuff that's in the book, but there's no no way that we could. But one of the things you, you kind of sketch out is whether it's like the Affordable Care Act uh, or whether it's talking to some, to a diplomat or a leader from a foreign country because basketball is now this wildly international game and Obama is— conversant enough to be able to talk to somebody from Spain or Germany or about whoever the best basketball player coming out of there is so it's not just North Carolina you know it's it's lots of other countries uh, and, and it's it, he can use also other basketball players to 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 talk about healthcare issues with the affordable care act or use somebody like Chris Paul as you know a symbol of the my brothers keeper movement that, that it really is no exaggeration to say that he has used basketball as one of his primary and compelling narratives about a whole bunch of other stuff.
1: Yeah. And the foreign policy part of that didn't really surprise me. I mean, there are more NBA fans in China today than there are in the U.S. Simple fact uh, because of numbers. So when he meets with Chinese leaders, he'll quote Yao Ming and there's this, you know, in, in what's otherwise a fairly fraught relationship, there's this safe ground that they can retreat to. I think what really blew me away was if you drill down into the politics of getting the Affordable Care Act implemented, how basketball played such a role. I had no idea, for instance, that – okay, brief history lesson. We, we remember the shaky rollout of the website mm-hmm. and that everybody in Washington was starting to hang the crepe for the Affordable Care Act because they didn't have the signups. They wouldn't make the signups they needed. They needed like 10 million, I think, to get the numbers for the exchanges to work. And – They had this period from October to March where they had to hit that target. So Obama gets Magic Johnson, who had this HIV um, episode. He gets Alonzo Mourning, who had kidney disease, both to do public service announcements urging people to sign up. And then he calls in favors with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, people who visited the White House with their championship teams. And they start using their social media tools to send the same message out to NBA fans who are exactly the demographic that they need. They need young people who are presumably healthier. And this is happening between October and and March, which is the NBA season. So they start pumping all this stuff out during the NBA season when these people are paying attention and they make the sign up. So coincidence? Maybe. Maybe it was coincidence that he carried North Carolina and Indiana in 08, But I've got to believe that basketball was at least there as a witness, if not part of the uh, solution.
3: So there's this other thing that's going on, and it's difficult to say um, how much of it might be caused by President Obama or how much he might be kind of an umbrella protecting it from the rain, or maybe it's an an independent thing, which is that the basketball players have, I think, to my eyes and maybe your eyes as well, become more politically minded, minded, more outspoken about social movements, and this has ranged from the Phoenix Suns putting on their Los Suns uniforms to demonstrate their displeasure with uh, Arizona's attitude towards immigration, to the, the the Miami Heat wearing hoodies as a symbol of Trayvon Martin, to the Eric Garner t-shirts, the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. Uh, there's been just a lot more of that kind of thing. Now, I asked um, Alexander Wolf. I asked uh, Jamal Wilkes whether he thought that was part of the Obama era. He didn't quite quite see it exactly the same way
2: yeah maybe I mean I I think uh, you know there's always been activism at least from the 60s with Ali and Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and Oscar and Jim Brown and Kareem Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think as you said it's kind of more organized now uh, meaning that teams guys are getting their teams to buy into certain uh, actions to make a statement about something And, and I think it does directly relate to how the president views the game of basketball. It's kind of, I don't want to say an open door, but it's a door that's more open to feel comfortable expressing uh, your statements.
3: Alexander Wolf, you know, my my perception of this, and I think you share it, is that although, yes, lots of basketball players and lots of professional athletes have had political views and have shared those political views, there's either a written or unwritten rule in the past, which is, yeah, yeah, go off and write something or say something or maybe even give an interview where you say something. But when you're on the court, you're on the court, you know, and you're basically a working man with his lunch pail, uh, and we don't really want to hear your views. And so if there's a sea change it might be this one where if you're coming out on the court, if you're Derrick Rose coming out on the court and I, an I-can't-breathe shirt, you are actually changing the paradigm a little bit.
1: You are, and I, I don't disagree with, with what Jamal Wilkes was saying, um, but I think he was part of that 60s generation. I mean, he was at UCLA when that stuff was going on, and there's no denying that when you look at the 90s and the early 2000s, when Jerry Maguire was a big hit movie and the catchphrase, show me the money, um, was was all the rage and Michael Jordan was studiously avoiding any political stand because he didn't want to leave a, a penny on the table. Trevor Burrus, Jr.: Republicans buy sneakers too. Wasn't that his quote? Well, it, it turns out he didn't actually say that mm-hmm. but people around him were saying that and, and certainly by his actions it made pretty clear that he didn't want anything to interfere with a potential sneaker sale. Mm-hmm. So what happened with the Obama election was something that was in pretty stark contrast to the period immediately prior to that. And I don't believe that NBA players are sitting around waiting to take marching orders from the White House. But I do think there's this kind of side glance thing going on between Obama and NBA ballplayers where they're they're keeping tabs on on each other. And, And so many players became involved in the campaign in 08 And then the White House does ask for some of these favors to help push its initiatives. And then Obama has his 49th birthday party and Obama's friends invite a lot of NBA players to Washington to play with him and just back and forth. And um, the question to me is how much of that momentum will carry over once he leaves office? I do think a little of this can be explained by the generation. We're talking about millennials who tend to be pretty engaged and willing to. They almost expect – to be asked their opinion Um, and would never even think of self-censorship. But how much it becomes a real sea change where we're off into an entirely new uh, attitude, I think that still remains somewhat to be seen.
3: And, you know, when you think about it, too, I think it's true at a very finely grained level that it can be inspiring or comforting or empowering to a basketball player. I I have no idea what Willis Reed thought about anything except, you know, posting up. Um, You know, I'm sure he did have thoughts and maybe he did share them in certain ways. But there's – because – of President Obama I think basketball becomes part of the national conversation I think it's been uh noticed more than it had been in a few years and there's sort of a comfort there's there is just something uh some way in which it's affirmed by how much the president likes it anyway and so I asked Jamal Wilkes about that here's what he says
2: absolutely and and, and I in no way mean to lessen the you know the seriousness of the presidency but but it's kind of cool seeing him hang out with, you know, NBA stars and 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 I think, you know, younger people uh gravitate toward that. And it's, you know, when the final four comes around, he's filling out his brackets. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, that's really kind of cool. And and again, I do respect the office. I'm not trying to lessen it in any way, but I just think that's a nice touch.
3: Right. It's kind of cool, Alex, but and and what's going along with it too is um, and you would know so much more about this than I, but my sense is even though there have been very um, influential basketball players who were kind of horizontally integrated, certainly Magic Johnson was one of the ones uh, pretty early on beginning to kind of horizontally integrate his brand, so did Jordan. There's also a way in which there are more basketball players, somebody like LeBron James, who really is. This walking, multi-level, horizontally integrated corporation now, uh, and to say nothing of he's like in Amy Schumer movies too. He's he's kind of everywhere. There's sort of a sense in which there's a kind of basketball player who's moving in a in, in more or less a lockstep with the the ascendancy of Obama.
1: Yeah, no, no. There's there's definitely truth to that. Um, LeBron James, in particular, I think it's it's been helpful to him to seem more serious at various points in his career because he had a few public relations missteps here and there. Um, but for the most part, no, I think I think it is. And it's spilled over beyond basketball into other sports. I mean, when we look at um, football, it seems as though the Missouri football team um, threatening to walk out in solidarity with an issue that was pretty much campus-wide. It wasn't an athletics issue. Um, that seems to me to be a spillover from a lot of the other cues that that can be taken from, from basketball. So sports as a whole, I think, is, is in this
3: new era. All right, we're talking to Alexander Wolf. The book is The Audacity of Hoop. There's a website, theaudacityofhoop.com, and it's about basketball in the age of Obama. We're going to take a little break here. We'll come back. Talk a little bit about the college game, about policy, how policy affects the college game, but also about how Obama affects college players, especially one college player. After this.
4: Opposition, cuz my position
1: is to shut you down as the basketball pounds on the floor. envision Moves to freak brothers every which way, dominating like Doc J. Pass me the rock, I know just what to do with it. It's real vivid, I pivot through the lane.
4: Game getting tight, victories in sight. What counts is what you write, not concerned about the height. So why-
0: the only time that the president got carried away was when he made Alan Iverson Secretary of Agriculture. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants, Betsy Kaplan, and me, Kion Wolf. Our interns were Stephanie Reef and Ross Levin. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Meadowlark Lemon. For show pages, articles, and videos of Robin Young dunking on Jeremy Hobson, go to our website, wnpr.org. And now, back to Colin.
3: I also wanted to talk to somebody who kind of grew up with President Obama as his president. In other words, we're talking to people like, Jam- like Jamal Wilkes, who, who like me, grew up with presidents who liked football and golf. But so, Brandon Sherrod, you are um, a basketball player for Yale University, but you're kind of an Obama baby in a way, right? I mean, you, this yeah. is the president who is really the president of— Of your politically conscious life, so exactly how significant is it to you, one way or another, that he, like you, is a basketball player?
4: I mean, it's pretty significant. Uh, As you stated before, you know, the past presidents have been really into football and baseball, and um, those are considered to be America's game. And I really think it's been it's been awesome to see a president who really supports basketball. You see him at professional games, you see him at college games, um, you even see him playing with some of uh, the veterans that. Um, on certain bases, and and that's really awesome to see, especially as a person who's an avid uh, fan of the sport and a player. Um, It's nice to know that your president is also um, an avid fan, and he also plays himself.
3: And there's also that sense of how you integrate basketball into a purposeful life. So, right. and then the reason I'm bringing this up with you is, of course, you also made this rather celebrated decision last year to spend a year singing with the Wiffen Booths, the oldest uh, college singing group in the country, this right. storied, storied group. And so that meant leaving Yale basketball for a year. And I'm thinking, you know, I mean, President Obama is this guy who is the leader of the free world, but he's got yeah. a basketball court on the lawn of the White House. Uh, right. And so it, there's sort of a sense that, you know, you you sort of balance things out. I don't know whether you thought about him at all when you were thinking, well, okay, maybe I can make all of these things work ultimately in conjunction or in sequence with each other.
4: Sure. I mean, I feel like every extracurricular activity or any activity period has place in your life, especially if you're passionate about it. Um, and it's nice to see that. I mean, for me personally, being passionate about music and also basketball is nice to have a year <clears throat> to dedicate to one thing. Um, and I know that in the future, both of those, uh, that skills and talents will be a part of my life in some uh, form or, or fashion. Um, it's nice to see the president also, uh, you know, still being able to um, to get to his passion whenever he can find free time. You know, it's, it's pretty difficult being the president of the United States, but it is it is nice to see that you can balance those two worlds and making sure that the professional side obviously comes first. Um, he's making great decisions for our country, but um, also being able to, to to show his his other passions um, and have those on full display for the country to see and also for. Um, you know, younger kids to see as well. So I think it's a, it's a great example.
3: You know, this book by Alexander Wolf kind of makes the case that that you almost can't unwind President Obama from basketball, and that his political re- career has a lot to do with basketball, even to the extent that in 2008 the two biggest red states that he flipped blue were indiana and north carolina which are huge wow. basketball states and where he really went in there and kind of campaigned as a guy who speaks basketball talks basketball right. and so first of all i'm thinking <laughs> i'm wondering you know okay you have a singing career you have a basketball career does politics yep. uh loom at all anywhere in your mind
4: certainly i mean i have a long-term aspirations to run for mayor of my city in bridgeport connecticut um, and maybe doing some public service work before that to get my feet wet. and that's I mean I, I understand that uh, basketball has definitely afforded me the opportunity to meet a myriad of different people uh, from all over the world and the music has also done the same thing, but it's been really special to to kind of have that that terminology and that dialogue. Um, it's very re- it's a very relatable sport it's a, um, it's a sport that everyone can play it doesn't take a lot of equipment um, and everyone can can definitely get around that and so uh, looking into the future, I, hopefully I can have some similar success that President Obama has had as far as um, incorporating that terminology and that dialogue with his political ambitions, um, and hopefully I can win some votes that, that way too, playing one-on-one. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens.
3: Oh, you are baby Obama. I didn't realize this. <laughs> All right, this goes further than than I thought. So you know, one of the, the other things that we've seen, and I know I talked to Jamal Wilkes about this, and I mean he's he said, well, I mean basketball players of his era, it's not as though they weren't political or socially conscious, and that's absolutely true. But on the other hand, I mean, you really have seen uh, NBA players taking the Trayvon Martin case uh, mm-hmm. public. You've seen uh, this. You would have been younger, a little younger, when this happened, but uh, the Phoenix Suns were these Los Suns. You uniforms to essentially protest Arizona, Arizona's attitudes towards, mm-hmm. towards immigration. You've seen Jason Collins come out as a, a, as a gay player. And then there have been right. more demonstrations, the I can't breathe shirts that, that Derrick Rose and other players have worn. It does seem as though basketball and politics are marching a little bit more hand in hand these days. Sure. I don't know. You want to comment on that?
4: Uh, I think one thing to, to note is that the game is dominated by players who are minorities. I mean, President Obama being the first black president, there's no mistake that um, a lot of these issues are taking place with police brutality and also uh, with people actually speaking out on the issues of civil civil rights, even though we we think we've, we would like to think that we've gotten past that uh, from our time in the 60s and also in the 70s and 80s. But I think that, that with those two things being in mind and having the re- the relation of the, similar race, I think that is uh, something that's important. And so that's something that should be noted. And I also feel that as you know, social media has taken over as well, people have become more informed and that's really uh, been great to see. It's, it's been great to see uh, basketball players and professional athletes actually speaking up for issues that in prior years and in prior times before the influence of social media and the mass uh, distribution of, of news, they probably wouldn't have been that uh, supportive or, or that open um so it's nice to see a league the league really embrace that, and it's nice to see people actually getting involved in politics it's It's very important
3: well Brandon Sherrod, as a, a Yale basketball player and as a the future mayor of Bridgeport. Do you think you could take the president uh beat him off the dribble
4: oh i think I think I could hold my own. He's getting a little old uh you know also his time in, in office uh, you can see that he's aged a little bit, so I think I like my chances, uh, but I'm sure it'll be a fun game. Mm. As long as I can stay on his left hand, it's pretty tough to guard that way. So uh,
3: I think I'll be all right, though. Right. Everybody knows about that left hand. All right. Exactly. Brandon, uh, thanks so much. All right. Take care. Alexander Wolf. in answer to the question, is, will other young athletes try to follow in the footsteps uh, of President Obama? The answer, apparently, as Marv Albert would say, is yes! Yes! <laughs> At least one,
1: and an impressive one at that. I mean, in in listening to Brandon talk, all I could think of was this White House initiative, My Brother's Keeper, uh, that Obama hatched as president and has made clear signals that he's going to carry over to his post-presidency. And so listeners know My Brother's Keeper is this effort to reach out to young urban men of color to try to get them aware of some of the pitfalls and issues looming out there. And it's occurred to me that so many of those men that Obama is trying to reach, I'm sure basketball is a huge part of their childhood. And, you know, in many ways, in the president's own life, it was almost a misspent youth in a pool hall kind of thing, basketball was. And he had these little forks in the road where he had to make the right decision and rededicate himself to something other than basketball. So I think he'll be able to talk with real credibility to young men, um, as he does now, as he will in the future, and say, hey, look, I faced this— this weird relationship with this game that tugged on my heartstrings. But, hey, look what I did. I became the president of the United States, and here I am coaching my daughter Sasha's youth league team and filling out a bracket and playing horse with my aide. And, and, you know, the game can be your companion, and you can can do great things with it. And, And what a powerful message coming from him.
3: You know, Alexander Wolfe, we're in the middle of another conversation about basketball, too, and that's at the college level, where, um, and in fact, the, I'm sitting here in Connecticut, the University of Connecticut figures in your book, not only because, obviously, he's constantly hosting the women's team uh, championship <laughs> after championship. He and Gino RM are on close speaking terms at this point, but also the men's team, which, as you point out, was really the first team to really be censured in that quite that particular way for not keeping up with academic standards. So there's a debate going on, and one half of the debate says, you know what, let's basically just kind of professionalize uh, these young people and, and treat them as what they are, which are very talented people who make a lot of money for everybody except themselves. And then there's the other side saying, no, what we really have to do is take the academic standards more, car- more seriously so that they really get the educations they're supposed to be there getting on scholarship. And I'm not saying these two ideas are incompatible, but I do know that President Obama and Arnie Duncan, who, as you say, is probably in a different, in addition to having been Secretary of Education, the best basketball player in the Obama cabinet. Uh, they've weighed in on this. Where did they weigh in? They weigh, weighed in very
1: emphatically on the, the second, the reform, the idea that let's fix it, let's not throw the whole model out and turn it into the pros. And they both believe the President and Arnie Duncan shared that, that passion. And it turned out I wasn't aware of this until working on the book, but it turned out that Duncan is really responsible in a way that UConn fans can get pretty exercised about. He's responsible for the tightening of the academic progress rate standards that led to UConn not being able to defend that one title. And if you, you ask Duncan about it today, he'll say, well, hey, UConn and everybody else has done a much better job since we raised the standards, so it's all good, isn't it? Uh, well, Shabazz Napier didn't think it was all that good at the time. But to me, it's emblematic, again, of this administration, there. They're much more about preserving and fixing than throwing the whole thing out. I mean, healthcare was, what can we build on the current system that will make it better? And this is another example where, where reform seems to be the order of the day, at least by their lights.
3: Right. Napier, as you point out in the book his response when they did win is to, the this is what happens when you ban us. Uh, <laughs> just rather than sort of saying, well, we're, we're glad we got our APR up, you know, we're getting good educations too. So look, last thing to talk about here, and it's, uh, you know, this is uh, from the time that President Obama was running for the, uh, at the very beginning, 2007, 2008, there's this question about how black was he? You know, I, I remember, I think he told 60 Minutes, well, I'll tell you one thing, when I'm trying to hail a cab in New York. It turns out I'm pretty black. And so you heard Brandon Sherrod say that it's significant because a lot of basketball players are people of color and he's a person of color. And this has been for, and in your book, it's, it's dealt with in a very interesting way. This question of, I think you have Dave Zirin saying, you know, in some ways he had a lot of trouble talking about issues of race earlier in his presidency, but maybe basketball was one of the places he did that too.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's no question. And, and the Obama advisors, David Axelrod, his political advisor, was very, very cautious about rolling basketball out because he wanted to make sure that, say, in New Hampshire, people there at least knew him as a senator and, and as a policy guy before some stereotypical part of him, which was genuine but still fit into a stereotype before that got rolled out. But it seemed to work, and I think it worked because it was authentic and how rare it really is that We get to see who politicians really are. And this guy clearly loved the game. The other thing I think um, he's very aware of is the same way that he laughs at and he understands Key and Peel and their Luther the Anger translator skit is early in his first term, the White House Correspondents' Dinner was hosted by Wanda Sykes, the comedian. And she had a great line, which was, first black president playing basketball. That's one step forward, two steps back. And Obama's up there on the dais cracking up. So I think he's very aware of how there is that little stereotypical element about being into basketball, but he's also <laughs> aware of who he is and that this game now isn't really an African-American thing. It's, a, it's almost the Obama coalition. Every little segment of it is into it. The Heat and the Spurs are dominating the NBA and they have these huge Hispanic fan bases and now the warriors with gays and Asian Americans whom they market to. So you have all of these people, not just African Americans embracing the game and, and Obama meeting them, whether it's the brackets or coaching Sasha or name checking
3: Yao Ming in a meeting with a Chinese. I think this is a, that's a beautiful place to end. Alexander Wolf, the book is The Audacity of Hoop. I should say that it is lavishly uh, illustrated with uh, really fascinating photographs uh, of the president uh, and the sort of basketball world around him. So uh, it's a, a lot of fun to read, a lot of fun to talk to you. Alexander Wolf. thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Colin, for having me. All right. And we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new show. Matt
0: Turner, because he can turn the corner when he's out there he- so passes like he really doesn't care Behind the back and in between the legs He's handling the rock just as gently as an egg He's throwing it into Angela Davis's neighborhood She's closing up down in the extra hardwood When she grabs the pill and then she puts her shoulder down Get out the way because she's gonna throw down Now boom, oh my God, I just can't believe it Forget we'll another back, for the better yet, leave it We always play for fun, we always play for key the game is over and the losers got to sweep up the glass that we busted in the ass at the record straight now About America's passes is my dream team Obama is like the last person that I would ever want to play basketball with Have you looked at his presidency? It takes him years to pass anything